Hello, and welcome to Returning to Us, a podcast that gives you strategies and tips for how to hack your brain, build and strengthen relationships, and to teach people how to recognize and neutralize their emotional states. I'll discuss emotional intelligence and regulation, how food and exercise impact the body and brain, and share lessons from my own lived experiences. I'm Lauren Spiegelmeyer, the founder of The Behavior Hub, which is an organization that works to reduce the stressors of raising and educating children through a brain and biology-based lens. In these episodes, I'll share stories and strategies from my own life, work, and research, answer listener questions, and wrap it up with a try-it-at-home tip. Decades worth of information in just minutes. You ready? We are going into a second kind of book study slash book review. It is the book called Limitless by Jim Quick, K-W-I-K. I highly recommend reading the book. And I'm only going to give you a few little snippets and like break down some quotes for you. But he also has a podcast. Plus he's been interviewed on lots of different podcasts. So I would cue into anything he's putting out there because this guy is a, he's a genius. <laughs> All right. So we're only going to spend two episodes on this particular book. There's a lot to cover, but I think it'd be better for you to, to read the book and instead of me spending multiple episodes breaking it down for you. So one of the things that I love that he shares and it's so much in alignment with what I know about the brain and how the brain stores information, remembers information, all that good stuff is he talks about this whole brain type of note-taking. So within 48 hours... of the information that you have learned is lost. One way to keep that from happening is this interactive whole brain note-taking approach. So I think of like all these like one-day conferences or mastermind groups or like (laughs) workshops, learning sessions, trainings, like they're all a lot of content really, really fast. We don't retain most of that, especially when you've got multiple speakers across a day or a couple of days. It's just not an effective way to learn information. So if you want to get better at learning information in those situations, because they're probably not going away anytime soon, here's the way to do it. Take a blank piece of paper, divide it in half long ways. Or you could make a table in like a doc or Google Google or um, Word, but better to write it because write it really helps that like cross body thinking back and forth and physical kinesthetic component. So writing is better, but you can divide the, the dock in half of the table or something. On the left-hand side, make notes. On the right-hand side, take notes. What does that mean? On the left-hand side, just write down anything that stuck out from, from the training, from the workshop, from the conference. And on the left, sorry, that was on the left-hand side. On the right-hand side, then you're going to make your, or you're going to, you're going to kind of like take your notes on your thoughts and things that stuck out on the left-hand side. So you might write questions or you might write comments, or you might even just jot down a quick thought about what you wrote on the left-hand side. So you're kind of like pulling the information on the left-hand side, reflecting on it on the right-hand side, that back and forth and like kind of manipulating the information is what helps to store it. So really, really great. All right. The next kind of area that Jim Quick went into in the book, and I love this area and I'm notorious for doing this and I have really tried to scale it back is multitasking. So when you are multitasking, um, you are attempting 
to do two cognitively demanding things at one time. Your brain can't do that. You cannot do two cognitively demanding things at one time. You can do one cognitively demanding thing and something else that's not cognitively demanding. Like you can listen to a podcast and walk on a treadmill or listen to a meeting and walk on one of those like walking pads because one of those things doesn't take that much really any cognitive ability. It's just repetition and natural movement. But if you try to listen to a seminar and answer your emails, mm-mm. if you try and turn YouTube or Netflix on and and um, get work done, not going to work. <laughs> uh, you, you can get some work done, but here's the cost of doing that. One, it takes anywhere from five to 20 minutes from your brain to switch back and forth into this like flow state. Flow is when you are like in a groove with the work. So if you're watching a show and trying to get work done, your brain is toggling back and forth between the show and the work you're trying to do. And therefore you lose your flow state and then lose momentum. You make more mistakes, researched. You burn more brain glucose, which means you're using way more energy. And think about it, your brain has to constantly switch and get you back on task. So the one thing I would suggest to you is if you are in a session or trying to get something done and something else comes up. You're like, oh shoot, I forgot you do this thing. Don't switch. Stick with what you're doing. Just jot down on like a sticky note what you need to do because that gets the thought out of your mind and gets it down to go back to, but it doesn't take you away from the task. That's a more helpful approach. Another quote from Jim Quick's work is what you resist persists. And I've heard this so many times. I think about this quote in terms of like emotions and emotional processing. So if you resist processing your emotions or you, you bypass, or you just stuff it down, it still lives on. It lives on in your body in a cellular system. And if you keep resisting that work, that deep, uncomfortable, emotional work, it stays in the cellular level and it starts to deteriorate your cellular level. And when your cellular level deteriorates, your body ages faster, disease pops up. So it is best. Here, here's a great example of this. I was in a situation lately, a couple of weeks ago, and I was, so, I, I'm not like, an, I am a pretty like optimistic, happy, upbeat person. I get sad, but I don't feel angry a lot, or I don't remain in states of like extreme angers. Uh, I'm not sure if it's because my childhood was riddled with some of that. And I was like, I don't ever want to be like that. And I felt an intense anger a couple of weeks ago. And I remember calling a therapist friend being like, I feel really angry and I don't want to bypass this. I want to work through it, but I want it to go away fast because I do not like feeling this way. So instead of resisting it and stuffing it down and ignoring it, we talked through some ways to like physically release the anger. There were some that I will not do that she suggested, but here's, here's kind of what she said. Here's a, here are different ways to release. You could grab a bag of ice and go somewhere. that's like a concrete wall and chuck the ice at the wall. Possible solution. You could go to a boxing class and punch the crap out of a boxing bag. Possible solution also has a health benefit to it. You also comes at a cost. (laughs) You could, Go to somewhere where there are stones and throw the stones into the water really harshly. You could even, if you wanted to, like take take something to write on like chalk or something and write your angry thoughts on the rocks and then throw them in. Um, 
that one seemed like a good idea, except I'm not sure I could fit all the thought on a small rock. I need a really large rock and then it'd be hard to throw. <laughs> the last one that she suggested I will not do, which was you could go to like a Dollar General and buy some cheap glass or ceramic plates and go somewhere that's not like around people and smash them. Obviously, you have to clean them up afterwards. And I thought, no, that's really just a waste. Even if they're cheap, I don't want to destroy something that has utility and I definitely don't want to clean it up afterwards. <laughs> Although I will say this, releasing the anger through like a plate smash and then going back and cleaning it up reorganizes your brain because cleaning up activities or organizing activities help you to get reoriented into a state of, of neutrality and balance and equilibrium. So you could smash the plates and that would release the anger and then the cleaning up of the plates would put you back into a neutralized state. It works brain-wise. I just don't know that it works like logistically or ethically, <laughs> but that's an idea. Okay. All learning is state dependent. So what does this mean? Um, and this is so valuable for anyone. I was just saying anyone in education, but parents too. Not even just learning, but cooperation is state dependent. So what that means is we have to be in the right state of mind to be able to hear language, communication, process it, store it, memorize it. And if your state is not in, in a neutralized state, essentially, if you are not in your rational brain and, and you would say like, well, I'm always in my rational brain or otherwise I'd be irrational. Uh, kids are out of their irrational brains quite a bit. Stress can bump you out of your irrational brain and you don't have to be acting like a, a maniac to be irrational. Um, your emotional brain just kind of hijacks your rational brain. Or let's not even call it rational. Let's call it logical brain. So it's pretty common. And we have to make sure that we are in our logical brain to be able to hear, listen, learn, make good decisions, organize, plan, all those things. A lot of times we are not in that state. So when we are working with kids or when we are talking with kids or when we are directing kids or doing whatever it is we're doing with kids, they need to be in the right state as do adults. So we need to make sure that we flip the state before we offer the command, before we tell them what to do, before we teach, before we do whatever. Because it's information that is kind of coupled with the right emotions or emotional states that send information to long-term memory. Otherwise, it gets lost along the way or it gets jumbled up along the way. So keep that in mind as you're communicating with irrational people. <laughs> Probably my favorite quote from the book, we are not logical, we are biological. What earth does that mean? We are not logical, rational beings. I, this relates to the quote above. That's not our natural state. We are emotional beings. We're biological beings. Our biological needs must be met first before we can have the space to live in logic. And that's because that's how our brain developed. It, it developed from the bottom to the top. So it developed from the brainstem, that kind of fight, flight, freeze, fawn, into the limbic area, which is that like emotional alert detection system. That's your emotional brain. And logic and reason in your prefrontal cortex developed last. So that means the biological markers and needs must be taken care of first before we can stay in logic. And we default to these biological emotional markers first. So there's a, a, a series I teach on this and it's in our, our coursework. I think it's in the trauma course, maybe in the self-regulation course, but 
about how Maslow's hierarchy of needs, these biological needs have to be met with kids and people before they can do the higher order thinking skills, like communicate and listen and learn and do all those things. One of those big biological markers is safety, psychological and physical safety. And a lot of kids don't feel safe in school. And that's not even just physical safety. That's that's like psychological safety. They don't feel understood, heard, accepted, belonging. And until that need is met, there's always some level of not fully neutral. So something to think about. I think about that even in like relationships, um, romantic partnerships, families, husband and wives, um, you have to make sure your partner's Maslow needs are met first. So the biological needs are met first before you can communicate rationally. And if your relationship is, is struggling, you have to kind of think about that. Am I expecting and asking my partner or even myself to do things that are in these higher order thinking places when some of those basic biological needs haven't even been met yet, or I'm not meeting them or they're not meeting them or whatever it may be. And how do we get those needs met before we try to have a rational conversation. All right, last one. Your brain is like a supercomputer and your self-talk is the program it will run. Let me give you an example from the book. If you tell yourself you are not good at multiplication, you will not remember your exposure to them. So, so let me break this down for you. Your brain is like a supercomputer. So a really intense, complex thing. And the way that you talk to yourself is the program the computer will run. So think of like a really old, outdated computer, how slow, like they have like dial up, how slow that is, how slow it runs. If your self-talk to yourself is positive, it's like a brand new, just pulled it out of the box, high-tech computer runs super fast. It's a good thing. We want to talk positively to ourselves. If we talk negatively to ourselves starts to slow down our programming. Why? Because that's how our brain works. When seeds are planted, whether they're planted from others or from ourselves, our self-talk or the way people talk to us, those seeds get planted. And the more we hear that same thing, the more that seed is watered. And the more the seed is watered, the more it grows and it takes up root and it takes place in, in the brain, it takes up space. So the way you talk to yourself out loud or like even subconsciously is so important to become aware of because you are slowing down your thinking system. You are slowing down your rationality. You are slowing down yourself. You have got to change the way that you talk to yourself. And even more importantly, well, maybe not more importantly, because you got to get that worked out first, but our outer language becomes a child's inner language. That is not from this book. I don't know where that's from, <laughs> but somewhere research. Uh, so what you say outwardly to yourself or to your kids is what becomes their inner language. So if I say something to myself, like, man, I am just, finances are not my strong suit. Um, not only do I, then does it become a self-fulfilling prophecy? And I actually believe that about myself, but my kids probably then begin to think, okay, well, my parents aren't good at finances. So I'm not going to be good at finances because I'm not going to have a good role model. It's an extension of you. So even if there are things that you are really not good at, it doesn't mean that you can't reframe that or get better at them or um, say it a different way. So I might say something like, don't love finances, but I am eager to learn more. <laughs> Financing isn't my favorite area, but um, there are lots of resources out there. So we have the power and the control 
kind of how our brain works. We get to reorient that thing and we can change the chemical makeup and so can the others around us. That's why it's so important. Like the five people that you spend the most time with, you become like those people because their outward language and actions and energy become what you absorb and you do yourself and you take on as your own. So be mindful of that as you choose your friends and family. And that takes us to today's listener question, which is how do we best support a kiddo that has experienced trauma? This is a hard question because every kid experiences trauma on a different level and responds very differently. So how we respond to them is, or how we best support them is different for every kid. So keep that in mind first, but I will say no matter trauma or stress exposure, you need to build a relationship with every child that's needing support and a big, strong foundational relationship of rapport. That is number one step. That's the first healing step. And that will begin the healing process right away. People need to know that you care about them. Kids need to know that they are safe and that you care. Number two, I would say is teach them regulation skills because if they are traumatized or they are experiencing a lot of chronic stress, it's very likely that their body is constantly entering into a dysregulated emotional state. If they have the skills to learn to regulate, they can stay in their logical brain more frequently. If they stay in their logical brain more frequently, they're going to make better choices and better decisions, and they can think more rationally and more clearly, and that can help the healing process of trauma as well. And if you really want to learn more about this, I have a whole course on human trauma, mostly around kids. So check that out in our courses section, and there are also other podcasts about this topic in particular as well, and blog posts. To wrap up our show, I'm going to share with you our tried at home tip, which is turn off your freaking phone notifications. Oh my gosh, this has saved my life. I turned off, I like five Gmail accounts, three Outlook accounts, like so many. And this is just email. I'm just telling you about the email accounts I have. I turn all the notifications off. I don't want any of those emails coming through to me on the weekend or at night. And the thing is, if I have them turned on, I'm going to check them. So I just don't even, there are some accounts where I, I don't even log in anymore. I only allow myself to check them on my desktop. I no longer allow myself to check them on my phone. So I just don't even log into those accounts. The other area of notifications is social media apps, any app. I have almost every notification on every app turned off, except for like my messaging app. And that has saved my life. Yes. Do I know do I not know when someone's messaging me or paying me through Facebook or social or YouTube or whatever? No, I have no idea. And that's okay because I don't want to be on it every moment of the day. I don't really want to be on it every day and I'm trying to get away from it. And if I don't have a, a visual reminder pinging me to go check it, I'm not going to think about it this much. And the more I can disconnect from that and pull myself back, the more brain space it creates. So let me tell you why this is important. I worked at a job once for a big ed tech company. And we had so many forms of communication, like there's your email, but then there's your messaging system, but then they like, there are the chat groups and there are the subgroups. And then there's like, everyone's pinging each other through Google drive. There were a, an absurd amount of notifications coming through because not only is it like your team, but your team is like people working on 15 different projects. So each project has their own communications coming through all those different channels. Every day I woke up and I feel like, wow, my nervous system is so dysregulated. My nervous system is totally screwed because <laughs> there are so many notifications coming at me that it's overwhelming. And there's constantly a ping. And every time there's a ping, my body like gets tense or tight, goes into action. So it's not healthy to have all these forms of communication. It's not healthy to have all these notifications coming at us all the time. Some can be beneficial. Some are reminding us to do good things, but just be aware of all the notifications you have. And can you turn anything off? or log out of accounts or delete apps. 
And that's it for today's episode of Returning to Us Podcast. Remember, I tried at home tip, which is turn off those darn notifications. And if you are looking for more support in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, the brain, if you are a school or your kid goes to a school or you think that school needs help in the areas of stress, trauma, behavior, the brain, I would love to coach or train anyone that needs this support. So we are expanding out our program, expanding out our offers. So the Behavior Hub currently does lots of coaching, online courses, group training programs. People, teachers, educators, parents can get credit from University of Pennsylvania by taking some of our courses. So if you want to learn more about any of this and just have a conversation, happy to hop on a call. Shoot me a text at 717-693-7744. And don't forget to lock in what you learned by applying it right away. By leaving a comment below, you can share with somebody else what you learned. You can buy the book and read it. Whatever it is, do something to help this information stick. Until next episode, I am Lauren Spiegelmeyer, and thanks for joining me. Thank you.